I was always just kind of a little bit different looking, I guess, and I think that kind of caught male's attention anyway. So I always had that. Like, I remember like being, you know, 13, walking with my mum, and you get like wolf whistles down the street, and it's like, really? Like, I'm in trap pants. I'm walking the dog with my mum. Like, come on. Being a mum should be protective. Now, when she's older, she's like, oh, are they whistling at me? Like, now she's like. <laughs> Welcome to the Humans of Perth podcast. My name is Jason. Each month, we bring an interview with some of the intriguing people met randomly on the streets of Perth in Western Australia. This next person I met near the Perth Underground train station. She told me of how she went through two challenging relationships before she met the love of her life. So my whole family is, is from Canada. We're all born there. We lived in Canada until I was about six and then we moved to Australia. My dad's a miner, so he's worked in lots of different places. He's worked in um, like Papua New Guinea, Indonesia, Philippines. I think he was actually holidaying in Australia but ended up getting work over here. And then mum came over for a visit for a holiday. They were in Cairns. So mum was like, oh yeah, we'll move to Australia. This is great. Like it's, you know, tropical, it's beautiful. And then my dad, I was like, well, actually, no, we're going to Western Australia. It's a little bit different. I was like, oh, okay. And then we get to Kembelda, basically a really teeny tiny town in the middle of the bush. And she's like, what the fuck? <laughs> what is going on? My parents' relationship is a very passionate relationship. And it still is this day. They're still married. And they're still madly in love with each other. But they will still, to this day, like, they'll have an argument and then... You know, be like, hey, yeah, fucking hey, and then, you know, half an hour they're like, I'm sorry, I love you, I shouldn't have said that. You know, like it's that kind of relationship. Growing up as a kid, you kind of exposed to a lot of that kind of like passion can get a bit heated, but then it's probably maybe the person I am today because then I'm, I'm a very passionate person. I'd rather like say how it is and not hide anything and not pretend everything is okay. I'd rather just be like, well, Everything's not fucking okay. I'm just gonna sh let it all out. We kind of always rented because we never knew where we were gonna be, like with my dad's job. So we always kind of rented. So it was like every year we moved house. Especially like Cowboy, it's a mining town. There's not a lot to do. So, and because it's a mining town, everyone's got a disposable income. You end up just partying a lot because there's nothing else to do. So a lot of, you know, like, Friends of mine, we always go to this one friend in particular. Her parents were always away, so we would be having parties at her house. And you just, being a typical teenager, but it's not like you're in Perth and you can go to the beach and hang out. It's like, you're in nowhere. If you're gonna stay in that kind of small town, I felt like you either have a really bad drug problem, get pregnant too young, or get involved with bikies. In my head, that's kind of the options, what happens. My fiance at the time, he had a bit of a drug problem. I kind of met him out and we got kicked out of the pub at the same time or something. And then we just started hanging out after that. He was like into cars and a bit of a bad guy and I was like, oh, okay, this seems fun. He told me he injected a couple of times and all this sort of stuff and then, but he said, oh, you know, but I don't do it anymore. I've never done it again and all this sort of stuff. But then it came to light later, a few years down, track in our relationship that he was doing it quite a lot. He wasn't very nice to me and I probably wasn't very nice to him because I would stick up for myself, I guess. I think because I was younger, I didn't really know any better. I didn't really think that well, no, this isn't how things are meant to be. I always thought he was a good person and the bad 
eventually kind of just took over and it was just, he would drink too much and just get out of control and he'd be that guy that, like he would just start a fight with people and be abusive and, you know, trash the house and it was just like, your friends stopped wanting to come around and hang out. <laughs> I actually wanted to break up with him in, like in January, you know, this is a few years ago. And he begged to kind of, for me to stay with him and I did. Um, and then I ended up moving to Perth. I said I wanted to be close to my family and all this sort of stuff, but really it was kind of like I just wanted to get away from him, like I just wanted my own space, I just wanted something different because I was kind of stuck with him, that kind of relationship, I just wanted to get out. Um, and I started working at a brewery in Swan Valley, just waitressing, and I met some amazing people there and I ended up meeting this girl there. And she was just a friend of mine and we ended up falling in love and I ended up leaving him for her. <laughs> to me at that point it didn't really matter if it was a man or a woman, it was just this person made me feel really good and you know I felt really comfortable for about a week, not even two weeks, and I felt terrible. It was funny because my my mum could sense something was up and she rang me one night and she's like, where are you? I'm like, I'm at work. And she's like, you're drunk, aren't you? I'm like, well, I've had a few drinks and she's like We've got wedding stuff to do tomorrow. I'm like, I don't give a fuck about the wedding stuff. And she could sense something was not right. Like, this is a wedding. You should get excited about it. Like, you should be wanting to go buy shoes for your dress. And she didn't want to because I could see the kind of life I was going to lead. And it scared the shit out of me. And it wasn't like it was an escape out. It just kind of happened that I fell in love with this person. Like, I didn't use her to get out of the relationship, you know? It just kind of happened that way. I knew in my head what was going on, like I, I knew that I was cheating on my fiance for a couple weeks with this woman and I couldn't, like, it was like this weight on my shoulders, I couldn't keep it going. So I rang my fiance and I told him that I didn't want to get married anymore and I'm like crying on the phone and I'm upset and so basically I thought like, okay, a phone call, that's all I have to do, okay, it's done. Um, and then he drove up the next day. He drove from the six hour drive from Kabul and wanted an explanation. He wanted to know what was going on. So he came to the house, to my, to my parents' house, and he had a haircut and had new clothes on and know, two grand cash in his, in his pocket and was like, we'll go anywhere because I always wanted to travel and do things. And he was just had this very small minded, like, well, I want to stay in Kabul and be a panel beater, and that's what I want to do. But I wanted to see the world, I wanted to get out. Trying to win me back, but it was like, after the years of what we'd already been through, it was already too late. So he asked me if there was someone else, and I said yes. He started rattling off these people, that, like these guys that I worked with, and then I was like, oh, shit. It's actually this person. He was just like, what? Because he was a very not an open-minded kind of guy, very much like a man first meet a woman, like this kind of like mentality. So he was angry and then upset and then angry again. And I, I, I don't think he's ever been the same since really. He got a lot of grief from friends. Oh, your fiance left you for a fucking woman. You know, that sort of very demasculate Demasculate, that's the right word, I think, yeah. And I just think instead of 
him kind of rising above it just made maybe things worse for him because of just kind of his personality and how he is. Like he didn't go, oh well, you know, it's life and kind of move on. I think it just made it things worse. Um, we ended up moving to Melbourne. I'm, I was very much like, I'll do anything. I work in hospitality. I did like hospitality agencies, but they kind of place you at like concerts and different kind of things. So I was happy doing any kind of job. She was more proud and she wanted to give her this amazing job and these amazing wages. And it's like, well, it's not gonna fucking happen. Like you just need to take what you can get and just go from there. We'd go out and I'd, you know, talk to a guy or, cause I'm, I like chatting to people. So we out and I'm, this is who I am and she'd get jealous and upset and I'm like, I'm here with you, it's fine, like I'm not... Like, so it was that fear of just because I've been with a guy, I've been with guys and now you're my first female relationship that I'm going to then leave you for a guy, like it was that kind of fear, I guess. You know, she'd introduce me to her gay friends as, oh this is my, you know, this is that straight girl that... You know, I left my fiancé for her and I'm like the straight girlfriend, I'm like, well obviously I'm not straight. Why do you keep saying that? I'm not, like, I'm not your straight girlfriend. I'm your girlfriend. What does fucking matter? And I know she was just unhappy in herself, which is making us unhappy in our, our relationship. So, she, you know, she was going back and forth to Perth. Her mum was paying for a flight. She kind of kept going back and forth to Perth. And I was like, you know, you're obviously not happy here. Like, you obviously don't want to do this with me. So why don't you stay? Just stay in Perth. And she did, and she never came back. Months later, her mum came and picked up all her stuff. A mutual friend of ours. She would come see me every day and ask how I was doing. I'd be inside, like, drinking, like, Captain Morgan's, like, spice rum and smoking inside my house, just like, uh. So she was like, fuck this, I'm not gonna let you sit in here listening to the same shit music. Like, so, like, it was like a movie. Like, it was just so cliche like there's me drinking smoking crying in in the lounge room so we would go out and we went out pretty much every night and we went to strip clubs and it was fun like we kind of just we went out and watched these beautiful girls dancing and we ended up meeting, meeting, making a lot of friends friends i still have to this day who are absolutely amazing people that we both met and it was funny because you know, she had broken up with you know, her girlfriend a little while before, so we were both kind of like these two broken-hearted ladies running around Melbourne. One of the girls that um, I met when I was with my best friend, this amazing woman, she basically was like, why don't you start dancing? And her sister had been a, a stripper, um, but hadn't done it for like a year or something and wanted to get back into it. They're very much like, travel around, travel around the world, and then would work when they have to, and then travel, travel, travel. So that was that kind of lifestyle. And, you know, I was already felt comfortable in myself, already been in that kind of environment before. It wasn't a big shock to me. So I was like, okay, why not? Only once, see what happens. Most strip clubs, especially Melbourne, because a few, you can kind of go in there and just be like, okay, do you need dancers? Like, it's it's not like you've got to apply for the job. It's just kind of like, do you have spare spots for us? And this one particular strip club in Melbourne, I won't mention any names, because it's the worst strip club in Melbourne. Like, it is a fucking dive. 
And this report had like 50 girls working there. Like it was insane. And it was tiny. But they made it work. So it was just pot like people go there because it's smoke in there and it was just like there's girls like just hanging from the rafters, like that's how many girls they had. It was crazy. So that you know, and you had to kind of give them like a house fee every night. So they don't really care how many girls are there because they're just making the money of 50 or 80 dollars a night to be there. And they basically said, yeah, cool, come down and start work. So it wasn't like an interview per se, it was just like, yeah, cool, come in, we'll take a look at you. Yeah, yeah, it was just sweet, like, you're good enough to dance. Because it was so small, it was like two stories, really small. And you just seeing these women walk around with these just wads of cash and just being like, why are they doing this? Like, no, I'm not an unattractive woman, but I'm, you know, walking around with like a $50 note and they've got like wads of cash. I'm like, shit, this is, how are they doing this? But it's just all about bullshitting, I guess. The aim of the game, get into a lap dance room and nearly 50 girls to choose from. So it's like, what makes you so special? I want to go in a lap dance room with you. So that was the hardest thing. It took me kind of, a, a, like a few kind of shifts to realize what they're doing, but generally they're kind of like basically say they can do certain things in there, like you know, that you can touch me here, you can do this, you can do this, and kind of get them in. Guys would be like, oh, like trying to touch them, and then they would call security straight away and get kicked out. So it's all very much like mind games and hustling, like hustling for the money, which I found was terrible at. I can't lie, I can't bullshit, I can't pretend to be someone I'm not. If someone wants to just chat and have a female's presence, I think that's where I'd get clients. Like I'd have that, they'd have that attraction if they wanted some girl that was going to be touching themselves and doing that. And that wasn't me, so I wouldn't attract that kind of people. You end up being like counsel, like you, they you end up offloading to you. I see men in a different light who sneak around and aren't truthful with their partners. For whatever reason, they might be ashamed or they might, you know, worry that their girlfriend might think or wife might think differently of them, but there's nothing wrong with having the conversation, just seeing where you're at, because she might be completely fine with it. She might be thinking that like you've been cheating on the whole time and you're just going to a strip club and she'll be like, oh, fuck, is that it? I think that kind of secrecy makes it worse than what it is. As a stripper and as an entertainer, you've had every kind of scenario happen. You know, you've been asked all the inappropriate questions. To, like in the lap dance room, I had to get security a few times because they were getting too, too hands on, too handsy, too far down south. But then some girls like wouldn't mind that. So it was just, especially in like your, your dodgiest strip clubs, it gets a bit like the line is blurred. But then you're more up market more respectful kind of strip clubs it's very much like no you can't waste up that sort of thing i still did it for you know a year and i enjoyed the dancing part of it but the hustling to try and get your client base and get people in there people with girls who like fake tan fake boobs fake outlets fake hair extensions fake everything so these glamour pusses like walking around and you know yeah i still look like i scrubbed up you know amazing i was more natural to try and compete with girls like that, it's just, it's hard. Unless you want to try and morph yourself into look like that, and that's kind of what they want. They want that like really like acrylic 
looking kind of gal. I started doing this because I needed the money. I was successful in staying in Melbourne. I ended up going overseas as well for like two months and that was completely paid for. Like, you know, I didn't have any like really long term, like, okay, I want to put myself through uni. I want to get a car. I want to get a house. I'm going to continue stripping until that's all done. It wasn't that kind of thing for me. It was just a means to an end at the time and served its purpose. I didn't want to stay just because, oh, the money's so good and I can't live without it. Because, like I said before, I'm not materialistic, so I don't care about that sort of thing. It's merely to pay rent, pay bills, and then extra money, like going on a holiday and doing that sort of stuff. My housemate, who I lived with in Melbourne, she moved back to Perth and started um, an apprenticeship tattooing. She would tell me about this guy that she worked with, and she kind of thought we would just hit it off. The first day we kind of met, I was actually getting tattooed. I kind of thought it was a bit arrogant, I, but I, I soon found out later it was just because it was shy. And that night, the three of us kind of all hung out together and she didn't stay up long. And it was just Steve and I that was left. We stayed up till like six o'clock in the morning, just drinking and chatting and getting to know one, one another. And after that, we kind of hung out every day. Um, I was there to go out to Melbourne because that's where I lived. And we spoke all on the phone, we Skyped, and we kind of built this relationship that we started in Perth and just continued over the phone. So it was a couple of months where we were in this like hiatus, like this back and forth. It was January, I think he actually asked me officially, like on Skype, like, would you be my girlfriend? Like, really corny and sweet. <laughs> so then I decided to move back. I was adamant that I wanted to get my own place. I don't want to be that girl, I want to just move in and be like, oh, okay, I'm just going to move into your life. Like, I wanted to just keep it casual and just not rush anything. And then he was like, well, I don't really want you to leave. Like, I want you to stay. I want you to hang out your stuff in my wardrobe. I felt pregnant. It was very early on in our kind of relationship. So we ended up terminating the pregnancy. And I think it was the best thing for us because, you know, we wanted to be selfish. We wanted to be about him and I. Like if anything, like you need to have a solid foundation, I think, before you bring a kid into the mix because I can only imagine like it would test the boundaries, it would test the limits, it would test everything. And if you're not solid, it's just gonna crumble. So I thought we were just take me out for my birthday. It was like on Wednesday night. Um, and he went to Rockpool. We got kind of escorted to our little table and it was like off in the distance away from everybody. I'm like, oh, this is nice. Like Steve really like pulled out the, the big guns to kind of like, you know, organize this dinner for us. And I thought it was weird that it was so far away from her, it was so secluded. Having, you know, having dinner and it came to like presence, present kind of giving time. And he passed me a card and this beautiful blurb of, you know, our life and our love and how much you know I mean to him and then he passed me this little box and it was this little like like a ring box he passed me a little gift and he kind of slid it across the table so I opened the box and there was like a white gold chain in there I was like oh it was, it was beautiful but I'm like I just thought like come on you know I've been there. I don't want a plane like just chain like anyway I stood up to go like sit next to him because we were sitting across from each other I wanted to thank him and give him a kiss and He's kind of stood up at the same time and kind of like standing there face to face. I'm kind of looking at him and he's just like looking at me with this look on his face like, 
nervous and he was kind of like shaking, like trembling a little bit. I'm like, are you okay? What's wrong? And all of a sudden he kind of like gets down, like he's standing there and he's just like declaring his love for me, but just really nervous about the whole thing. And he's like fumbling around like, what are you doing? <laughs> and he pulls out his box and he's like, will you marry me? And I'm like, uh, are you sure? What are you doing? What are you doing? Like, people are staring. I'm like, what are you doing? And I was like, will you marry me? And I didn't, like, I'm not like, you know, you've seen movies like the girls look at the ring and they're like, oh, okay, yes, yeah, we'll get married. Yes, it's an amazing ring. And look at, I was not even paying attention to that. I was looking at his eyes and I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, well, are you gonna answer me? Like, will you marry me? And I'm like, yes, oh my god, of course I'll marry you. And he gets off his knees and everyone's like clapping around us. And I'm embarrassed and red and I'm, you know, had a few glasses of champagne, so I'm just like, Ooh. He's my best friend in the whole world. I got so lucky because I, I got to find that and a lot of people don't. And I think just because the relationships I've been through you know, thinking they were the love of my life, they were the love of my life. I'm like, no, no fucking way, it didn't come close because he's the love of my life because he lets me be me. I think that's what love is, letting, like allowing you to be you 100% and making you laugh. You gotta have humor in life because life can be fucking shit at the best of times. So if you can have a bit of humor along the way, it's good. This piece was produced by me with sound composition done by Andrew Clark. Andrew is a local of Perth, and if you like his music, check out his website at andrewclarkcomposer.com. That's Clark with an E. If you want to know more stories about the people of Perth, then check out humansofperth.tumblr.com.